Listening Dog Media. Kisses in the Dark, a pod play series from Mank May Productions and Listening Dog Media. With performances from Kyle Rowe, Pamela Mayos, Stephen Gidwani, Patrick Price, and Ryan Clayton. Also starring Rhiannon Clements and Con O'Neill. Written by Marty Ross. I hear you, brute beasts running wild in the night, raging, black waves for flanks, you fired up muscles, storm clouds for mane, white spray for the sparks from your hooves. And me, stood here on pier of damp wood and rusty metal to face you and say, what, what must I do, what next? In this endless game between your humour and my tragedy, what deal to be made between an immortal man and a devilish god? I've danced and tragedised for so long. Worse a compromise between your entertainment and my survival. Speak, you filthy brain animal. I have a greater hunger in me tonight than the hunger you put in me. I'll see that hunger satisfied before I perform again for you, but how? Huh? How? Cup of tea. Could you spare the cash? Cash for a few coppers, please. A bit parched, dear. Nothing to eat for, oh, three, three days. But a few coins would do. Going in to see the show? Good show, is it? Mm, I'm sure. Laugh a minute. Bring on the dancing girls. Split your sides. I, I danced once, long ago place like this. Did you know? Bring on the dancing. No dancing now. If if I could get the prices of a cup, it'd be a bloody miracle. Go on then. Go into your show. Treat all more like you were rubbish blowing down the length of this bloody pier. You should have seen me in that show. They're the from the end in a great chorus. Kick, kick, step, kick, step, kick. What's that? No. Over there, stood at the rail. Lonely soul. Lonely soul like you, Mardy. Spray in his face. He'll have a heart. You'll stand your pride to survival. Won't you, sir? Save me. Won't you, sir? What? You. Mardy. I was just... I was just... The usual, you, you know. The usual? 
trying to, you, you know, get a bit of what you need to get by. Yeah. Of course, we all need a little bit of that. I'll leave you to it, sir. No. Sir? We're old friends, surely, Moody. Are we? Seen so much of one another over the years, haven't we? Seen? I've... I've seen nothing worth seeing, son. Nothing to speak about. No, not for you to me out. I'll be moving along. No. You've seen the loneliness in me, and I've seen the loneliness in you, and we've passed one another again, 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 and hardly thought what might come of matching your loneliness to mine a little more closely. No, sir. I'm lonely tonight. Lonelier than I've been in, oh, such a long while. This lonely soul stumbled on the possibility of, of a kind of love in himself, a kind of hope for fuller life, and she ran. Ran for me like I was, like I was a devil out of hell. Am I, Morty? Is that how you take me? I really need to be going, sir. Maybe in the prom, I'll get a cup of tea. No. <laughs> Sorry, Morty. Didn't mean to hurt you, but no. You're not going. I need the company. That little bit of human warmth. Warmth, sir. No warmth tonight. Not with this storm blowing in. Cut you to the bone, that wet wind will. Slice your heart in two. Then come, just hear what they so charmingly call the Sunset Lounge. Nobody, look, has thought to bring out their drinks from the pubs or the theatre. We have it all to ourselves. No, 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 help me, someone. Hush, Morty. No one can hear. The storm's at its height, the pubs shut its doors. The audience is seated for the laugh riot in the theatre. We can provide a very private audience for one another. I, I, I don't want to die, sir. Oh, so few do in my experience, yet all must. Except me. And that, taken on trust, isn't so perfect an alternative as you might think. Get it over with, Morty. It's hell, whichever side you wind up. Your poor, wandering, panicking souls overdue. Maybe a change of scenery at the very least. Come here. No! She ran. Rather charming that she still had it in her. That helpless urge to be alive, however miserable that life was. But I'd already positioned her in such a way that the only place to run was into the Sunset Lounge. That enclosed space of glass and wrought iron and bird damp floorboards open to the skies above so spray and rain could get in easier than she could get out. But still she tried to evade me, darting, stumbling among the tables and the chairs heaped upon them. But she was old and slow and awkward, while I... I was infinitely older. Old as the waves and wind that ate in the pier. I caught her, felt the bones through that damp blue mac. It was a shame, 
I'd known the gut for so long. A charming bit of tragedy, comic relief in the daily grind of my own darker tale, as much a part of the battle scenery as the pier on which we stood. But oh, the desperation, the anger, the loneliness and need that was in me then and there. Don't, sir. Don't, you know, you know, you, you don't have to. Oh, morning nights like this, I hardly know myself. But I know myself better than you do. No! from sight long enough. Creeping round the corner of the carousel bar, I peered closer into the windswept space of the sunset lounge. He and the old girl were just shadows now, near the spray slap windows at the far end. I tried to hear what they were saying to one another, but in my caution, I stood too far off. No clear idea of what was going on between them. When I saw him kiss her, full on the lips like he'd never kissed me. I almost had to stifle a laugh. Was he that desperate now that he'd lost me? But then I saw how she shuddered, crumpled in his embrace. I thought she was fainting or having some horrible geriatric orgasm until the smell hit me. That smell like seaweed rotting like a dead gull feeding worms on the beach. And I saw that it just wasn't her stance giving way, but the flesh itself sliding from her bones. No! He looked round at me. She didn't. She was suddenly just a yellowish froth slipping clear of his grasp and the wrinkling of her clothes. He let go of her. She dropped to the floorboards, light as nothing at all, just empty clothing and a few liquidy bubblings, a few strand of straw-like hair and, of course, that smell, thicker in the air than ever. Kate. What have you done to her? All these hours searching after you, and you're the one that found me. I ran back to the flat, locked myself in, heard you tapping at the door, trying to unlock it with your bloody landlord's skeleton key. When you'd rattled at the chain a few dozen times, I gave up what was left to do but follow you. Follow you all the way here and see... See what the hell you were. Who the hell you were? What the hell kind of... What the hell have I just seen? Tell me, what have you just done? Done. To her? To who? Who's here but you and me? Oh my God, the mess on the floor. Where has she gone? Watch, in another few seconds, even the mess will have gone. She said something once, I just took it for drunk raving about a cat in a cradle. The old story, that old wives tale, cats sucking the breath out of babies. Is that it? Something like that? Something like that. That story you told back up on the coast there, it can't be true. But is it true? Yes, it's true. It can't be true! Looking at the truth of it right here. Oh, my God. Tom? Tom? 
What did you do to Tom? Oh, you poor, slapped around, profoundly lovable, innocent. What do you think I did? Dear God, you bastard! I was throwing myself at him. What did I think I could do? It was Tom to me that I should risk myself so. A poor bloody idiot who'd lost his short temper and thumped me in the teeth once or twice too often. Another woman might have been glad to hear what had happened to him, but not me. Oh, it was a fuck up, like, the world's fucked up. But I was fucked up enough myself to feel a ton of love for both. But I'd throw myself at something, someone bigger and meaner than any world I'd ever known. He caught me, lifted me up, threw me down against one of the tables and its heap of chairs. When you have more time to think about this, you'll realise I've been doing what's best for both of us right from the start, right from the moment you put your mark on me in blood. We belong together, and everything else is expendable. Come here. But I was up and running from him again. Running away this time, running out of the Sunset Lounge, running for the closed doors of the carousel pub alongside. I reached for the door handle, began heaving the heavy door open. For a moment, I glimpsed beyond a huddle of old men swigging IPA by the bar, their backs to me. If I could have found the breath to shout to them, everything might have been different. Or we all might have been slaughtered. But John's arm was around my throat, joking off that breath, dragging me back. I lost my grip on the door. It was swung as short as he sent a dark wave surging up through my skull. Please die a little bit just for a moment so I can show you the rebirth I have in store. I tried to fight that wave, to swim against it, but he held me tight and I sunk fast. Candlelight and the feel of soft, damp cotton underneath me. Cushions. A slight sway to the spot where I lay. Good. Back in the land of the living. I twisted about. Fell from the soft cushions of the lounger on which I lay to a hard marble floor. I remembered. Yes. Grope my way a few inches across the tiles and then I saw, yeah, the drop down to the floor of the drain swimming pool. I was back in the basement of the Toledo, but something was different, something not right, for the golden mermaid's mosaic down there among the green mould seemed to shift about, shimmering in the candlelight. And that dead pigeon in the grey puddle at the pool's deepest angle, dear God, it was moving about fluttering brokenly in the dirty waters, trapped as I was. Then I heard another set of wings, massive, 
in the air above me. A great shadow passed over the floor of the pool, a draft sweeping over me, flickered the candlelight smelling of salt and dirt. I looked up, but it was John I saw. Stepping towards the near end of the pool, blowing out the lengthy match in which he'd finished lighting the last of the candles that were placed around the room, glued to every available surface by the melting of their wax. The air about him rippled and smoked. Not feeling the worst for your journey, are you? I had to drag you the length of the prom to get you back here, but it's Blackpool. Closing time at pubs, there's plenty of men dragging comatose girlfriends this way and that. All the trouble of bringing me back here, and to what? Kill me too? Nothing so simple as that. I love you. You're everything I lost that day 500 years ago when I lost everything and gained only a gut full of dead souls screaming. With you, at last, I can live. And I want, I need you to live with me. I already bought our tickets. Tickets? Train tickets. Turn on the news, pick up a paper. After what I got up to in Lighten last week, there's increasing talk of a killer on the loose, a human plague, a spate of suspicious disappearances. Well, that's how it always goes, after a while. Wherever I've taken up residence, when it happens, I move on. Circling back here every few decades. To get to my age is to grow nostalgic about your roots. But we'll jump on a train and start a journey wherever we're inclined to go. I thought of Venice. That's a kind of plainer, more discreet Blackpool. Everything turns to liquid though. You're crazy. I'm not going anywhere with you. Not as you are, obviously. There's another kind of ticket to be purchased for you and I can see it's more expensive. He was stepping towards me, standing over me, helping me back to the seat on the lounger sitting alongside me. One hand stroking my face fondly, even as his other drew from his coat a rough-looking knife. It's blade-looking as if it were carved out of the kind of grey-green rocks you see on the beach. I drew back. His other hand held me tight. No, listen, I've spoken to God. Didn't you hear the flap of those dirty wings? All that was wrong between the divine and me, that was wrong from the start, can be set straight now. The sacrifice this time, he says, will be rewarded with more than a drowning in dirty water. If I kill you here tonight with this knife and then perform certain devotions, rituals, certain gestures of gratitude towards my maker, then, like me, all those years ago, you'll come alive again. Alive as a creature like myself, we'll walk the world together. Do what we must to survive our time together, limitless. And the only thing truly dead between us will be our loneliness. Oh, John. Do you know how lonely and insane that sounds? Dear God, do you know how lonely I've been? I'll kill me and you'll be lonelier still. But I won't be killing you. Didn't you listen? John, lover, 
If I listened anymore, it'd tear the heart out of me harder than that knife. Enough's enough. And the rock I'd picked up off the beach in Cleveland's. And scrambling clear of the tide, the rock I'd shoved in my jacket pocket with some vague sort of self-defense came in handy now. Oh! I leapt up and ran, dodging round the rim of the swimming pool. Those mermaids down there were swirling, swimming swifter than ever, making me wonder if he hadn't slipped some drug into me while I was unconscious. Those candlelit walls seemed to stretch this way and that all around me. The paintings of old Toledo on the wall warping to stranger shapes, shapes of beasts that might have slithered round from the ocean across the road, all scales and fins and twisted human nakedness. I was scrambling up the steps to take me out of the pool room. The white marble was like glowing sand crumbling under me and I could hear him much more sure-footed running after me, but I made it up somehow, floundering through the shadows at the top, finding my way into... Oh, God! I was in the ballroom. All the furniture had been cleared into the walls, a thousand more candles blazing, their light reflecting off the dark floorboards, highlighting the great pale circle that had been scratched out into the wood itself. Gobbledygook words and strange shapes gouged around the circles inside and out. And on the walls. You notice, I suppose, a pattern on the wall of my room upstairs, unless you took the stainings of doubt. But no. Many a religion creates images, fearsome images of the divinity it worships, to placate and hold that God at a safe distance, as here. Look, all round. Those great red stains on the wall, those patterns of spatterings. What? Hmm? More mildew? No. Paintings from the life of the force we're negotiating with here tonight. Those shapes, they're moving. Are they? Maybe they are. I put a dab of two of my own lifeblood into them. He was pulling off his coat. Pulling off his shirt, standing red blotches, laying bare his chest. That fine, firm chest I'd caressed so lovingly, showing the pale skin now was covered in a mess of shallow cuts, only beginning to scab over. Don't look so long. What faith can do without the shedding of a little blood? I am alarmed, John. This has all gone a little far, don't you think? Kate. Catherine. My love, my life, my hope, my future. We haven't nearly gone far enough. But here and now can change all of that if we dare. Let's dare now. He darted my way. I started to run for the glass doors at the far end and folding doors beyond those, hoping to get through into the lobby to get out into the night. No. But he was sharp. Sharp as that knife he held, he sprinted ahead of me, blocking the way. I backed off. He stepped more slowly towards me. Don't run. The only intimacy I've known in all so long is the intimacy of people shuddering away from me in mortal fear. Suddenly, lately, that's not enough. And it's all down to you. 
I want you to see what I've seen, what's on the far side of such a fear. You're only seconds away from the opening up of centuries ahead. Let's hurry up, shall we? He made another sprint my way. I turned. Behind me, the ballroom's bar. I leapt over the counter, knocking aside a few candles, searing my skin here and there. But he kept coming. I grabbed a dusty old bottle of some evil-looking spirit on the shelf behind smashed it. Intended to shove the jagged ends into his face, but as whatever ancient poison was in the bottle let clear, it caught the candle flame, sending a bigger whoosh of fire into the air between us. I let back over the bar, knocking more candles to the floor, running for an archway into the corner with curtains across it. I pulled back the curtains and ran through. I was in the great dining room, the remains of our romantic dinner a couple of nights before, still rotting on the table in the centre. Oh, I could hear him running after me. I scraped one corner of the table aside, ran past, heading for the door at the far end. But the room seemed to stretch, become vast the, the further I ran across it. There were lumps of driftwood scattered on the floor. I kept tripping over them, candles are glued with their wax to the wrinkles of the driftwood, fiery shadows leaping up on the walls which grew further and further away, yet more and more huge, towering over me. And then I knew he must have slipped me something while I was unconscious because those glints of fiery light on the walls became pulsing cells in the flesh of the wood itself, burning and melting away to leave beyond. It was like stars burning stars dying in the heavens and great shapes like those shapes he painted in his own blood, snaking between them, screeching like seagulls over something dead on the beach. And the sight of them, of the look they began to turn my way made me close my eyes even as I ran. I tripped. Another of those damn bits of driftwood fell onto... Ah! <gasps> fell into some shadow puddle on the rocky floor of... It was like a cave. I opened my eyes, looked up. The rough rocks, like the inside of a skull or a rib cage, were all glowing. And in that glow, I saw the rocks weren't rocks at all, but... Bodies. <sighs> Countless naked bodies male and female, all knotted and twined around one another. Bodies half rotted to the bone, but still writhing about in helpless contortions. I scrambled forward, hearing the weird aching song that went among them. Kay, Kay, Kay. What? Ah! I stumbled against something lying there on the ever more deeply puddled floor. Driftwood? No. Tom! Tom lay floating there, just under the surface of the dark water, glimmering with a pale light, like a glow from the bones his body was shrinking back upon. He clutched the leg of my jeans with a hand that had its bones sticking through the fingertips, staring up at me with eyes that had starfish blossoming out of them. The lips he was trying to speak through overflowing with Tiny black crabs. The deep, deep dark. I struggled for Eve's grip. I had to get away knowing there was nothing I could do for him. 
Another figure blocked my path, stood upright in the narrowest gap, plastic yellow handbag in hand. Blue Packamac dripping water. Lost. You see? Come in out of the cold. Kiss me quick, like it says on the hat. Buy a ticket to the pleasure beach. But look. Look all round. It's pleasure. Ah, purgatory. Purgatory. Worse. Far worse. Look. Looking for the way out, love. Couldn't find it myself. Never find it. But maybe you. Are you dead too? No. Then maybe you brought me a cuppa once. Hmm. A, a cuppa and a breakfast. Here's something to pay for it. She unclipped that ludicrous yellow handbag, drew out. What was it? Just that legless Barbie doll I'd seen in there a few days before. Its hair all tangled up with black bladder rack seaweed. She handed it to me and it caught fire. Blazed high with blinding brightness. Her face glowed like a face I'd seen once in a hall of mirrors. Her hand reached out from behind, caught my shoulder. Kate. I turned. I was back in the dining room. She didn't seem so large after all, and John was looming over me, a terrible love in his eyes. There was, yeah, not, not the Barbie, but one of those candles in my hand, uprooted from the lump of driftwood over which I'd fallen. I shoved the flame hard in his eye. I cast the candle aside, grabbed that bulky lump of driftwood, ran with it a short distance to the window at the room's far end, through the wood, through the glass. I scrambled through, dropping into the alley at the side of the building, running on out into the teeth of the storm, knowing he was following somewhere behind me. The wind and the rain, hard and stinging, woke me up from whatever dream I'd been lost in, and I was back into the hard reality of Blackpool on a stormy night. I ran out into the road, waved at a car speeding towards me. It sped right by, hardly a hint of any other car. How late was it? How early in the morning? I had no idea. But I could make out John striding after me, pulling on his overcoat about that bare and scarred chest. I hurried on, across the road, up onto the prom, looking for a tram, seeing none. Oh dear God, what was it? Four in the morning? There was no one about but me and him. I ran south along the prom. Great waves were crashing off the seawall, spray leaping into the air, raining down all around me, soaking me almost as much as I'd been running through the sea itself. Then suddenly, as I backed away from one crash of waves that looked like it might have carried me out into the Atlantic with it, we came darting round the side of one of the great ugly sculptures decorating the end of the prom, taking up the position of the receding wave in my blocking path. I love you. Don't run from me. Love? What the hell kind of love? Killings and rituals and some grimy old knife that you were going to stick in me? It's the only kind of love I know or have known for a long time. 
Spare me the story, John. I told you, I don't believe it and I can't. Look at me! Could any soul be twisted, tortured like this soul in me if it wasn't true? I can't go through that torture alone any longer. I have you join me in it and together we'll give that torment its own kind of beauty. You bastard. You poor bastard, you evil bastard. I'd rather die on my own terms. Here. I leapt up onto the seawall. The wave, the huge wave, the ice-cold wave hit me straight on, knocking me dizzy, sending me dropping, shuddering. I didn't know which way until I felt myself hitting and hard. The slope of the hexagonal concrete slab strengthening the outside of the seawall. As the wave's chill slipped away, I found myself clinging to the puddled hole in the middle of one of the great hexagons. Soaked to the skin, my legs dangling a few inches above the angry grey sea. And then John was leaping down the irregular juttings of those slabs looming over me. Dying on your own terms doesn't maybe seem so romantic now, does it? I mean, compared to living on mine, which could be your terms too, if you only, as the saying goes, open your heart. That scuzzy lucky knife again. How's that better than? <laughs> better than that. That again and again until you freeze and drown. This cold, dead soul here is telling you love. Love like ours, however monstrous it might be, is a warmer place to fall than that. I think I did love you. God help me. And you'll love me again. God will help with that, won't you, you man, you stinking cur on the stray. Come, wolf. Grab rabbit mud, mad nag, piss poor nightmare, come! Consecrate our nuptials, come! Take pride in the thing you've made of me! That ugly, infinite face! So ignore! Another wave hit us. He threw himself tight across me, pinning me there when the force of the water might have dragged me away. As the wave receded, salt stinging in my eyes, I looked up at him at the knife he had ready to cut into me, at the sad, foam-streaming look he had fixed on me. And then I saw his look shift sharply towards the sea. <laughs> there you are. And I looked that way too and began, I swear, to see something out there more than the raging grey sea and the pitch-black clouds. I was the spray being whipped into the air. I saw great tall threads of hair being woven around one another, far and wide. Hair like some immense beast's shaggy coat, its waving mane. The beast grew larger. So 
hedged closer, showing its dark eye that shone like the moon turned into a black jewel. It was so fast, so sudden that I realised I wasn't hovering there between the sea and the sky. The sea and the sky were some small part of it, and it itself was bigger than any world it was bearing down on. It cried out, cried out for me in a voice like a blade cutting through the universe. Dear God. And John looked from that sight to me beneath him and said, And what? I'm supposed to reverence that, that, more than I worship you. Oh, what a long love that's been. What a God that almighty rope stirred in my breast. Here, divinity, here's that God in all his fury. I gasped as the knife was driven in hard. I could hear the bone across the heart cracking, see blood welling, spurting, soaking my chilled body with its heat. He reeled back from me, the hilt of that dagger protruding from his naked breast and not mine. He swayed there for a moment, a sudden twisted smile on his face. <laughs> it's a fury, indeed. <laughs> Come, see scum. I'll match your fury with mine! John! And as the wave beat us around and then drew us back, I felt him being dragged off me, as if something in that water had caught a solid hold of him, crying angrily as it did so, blinking salt water from my eyes, spewing froth from mouth and nose. I saw him for a second, hovering in the air between me and the sea, I reached for him, John, and I saw him reach for me. And I think for an instant our fingertips almost touched, but then that next wave came from nowhere, knocking me back against the concrete, sweeping him from my sight, almost pulling me into the city wall as it receded. So I had to cling to one of the concrete hexagonals with both hands. And when the force had slipped entirely back into the sea, I found it had left me utterly, horrifyingly alone. Nothing of him was ever found. So far as the world knew, he was just one more soul who was here one day and gone the next. Like Tom. Like all the others. Blackpool's like that. 
people pass through and then they're gone. That story about disappearances on the local news faded out, lacking evidence or an ending. The flat above, the flat above me sat empty for a few weeks. And then all us tenants saw a notice in the lobby saying that Toledo was to be demolished, making way for a travel lodge. The whole thing got a good write-up in the Gazette. Boost for the South Shore, that sort of thing. The Toledo being an eyesore, few were sorry to see go, except the poor bastards who lived there. Me? I got a little flat, far end of Bispam. Kept on at the cafe, telling no one no one about all that had happened. Because how could I? What would I be taken for but another mad woman raving about the prom? For replacement for Mordi, who, likewise, wasn't seen around anymore. Bad enough in myself that sometimes I still see the things he showed me more clearly than I see the tower or the amusement arcades or the comedy carpet. Maybe you've caught me at a weak moment, seeing as I've told you all this. For I often wander here on my day off, stare out to sea and wonder. About him, obviously. About all the horrors he committed and all the love he had in him. Even so, that terrible, Beautiful love of his, like the hopeless, violent love the sea had for the land. That love that he had for me. And it's the thought of your love, John, that scares me the most. So here I am, sitting in this summer heat, on this bench on the prom, resting my legs because eight months' worth of baby in my belly weighs a little heavy. And I stroke that smooth lump with its occasional tiny kicks. Soft as the sea today, you're stroking the shore, and I think... Having better things to believe in, suddenly, than curses. That we're both immortal now. You poor lost bastard. You've been listening to Kisses in the Dark, a podplay series from Mankmade Productions and Listening Dog Media. With performances from Kyle Rowe, Pamela Mayos, Stephen Gidwani, Patrick Price and Ryan Clayton. Also starring Rhiannon Clements and Con O'Neill. Written by Marty Ross. Marty Ross.